Welcome everyone to the last and final episode of this year's The Pick Is In. It's been a lot of fun this past month talking about the draft and looking forward to getting into some of these NFC teams today. Yeah, I'm excited to touch on the NFC as a whole and the NFC champion Carolina Panthers this year in this episode. Perhaps in 2024, a division title would be a lot this year. However, we we do have a lot to touch on for the 2023 season, so we'll jump right in. A former Alabama quarterback drafted in 2020 got paid this offseason. However, it wasn't the guy selected fifth overall in that draft class. It was the player taken with the 53rd pick. Yeah, Jalen Hurts has really taken the leap this season. After the Eagles were able to get A.J. Brown in a draft night trade last year, I think Hurts had a really good group of guys to throw to. I think both his ability as a passer and as a run threat were on full display this year. And he was able to grow in both and lead his team to a Super Bowl berth where he balled out. And uh, the only reason he doesn't have a, a ring is because he ran into Patrick Mahomes. And he absolutely deserved the contract he got. Yeah, no, he signed a five-year extension worth $255 million. Uh, $110 of those dollars, million dollars were fully guaranteed. And the Philadelphia Eagles um, benefited immensely from retaining him. Over the next three seasons, he's not set to hit more than 10% against the salary cap in each of those years. There's a lot of prorated money in this contract with about seven void years on the back end, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, seven void years is crazy. But I think that kind of signals that the Eagles are all in on Hurts for the long run, meaning that they might extend him after the initial five years have uh, expired. Yeah, there's definitely going to be a restructure at some point. Jason Fitzgerald with Over the Cap has alluded to this being the foundation for a 10-year contract, especially since Hertz has a no-trade clause in the deal. Uh, if the Eagles were to hypothetically cut him in future off-seasons, his dead cap hits with a pre-June 1 designation are $104 million in 2024, $91 million in 2025, and about $69 million in 2026. Nice. Hurts, though, wasn't the only guy in the NFC East that got paid this offseason. Daniel Jones actually signed a $160 million deal over four years uh, this offseason that has him tied for the ninth highest annual average value at $40 million and has the 12th highest in fully guaranteed money at signing with $81 million. We were talking about guys that deserve to pay day with Hurts, and I think Daniel Jones, on the other hand, did not warrant the payday that he got. This is basically the really only good year that he's had as a QB. And even then, can we say he was a top 10 QB this year? I think uh, before we started recording, you said he was 13th in EPA, I believe. Last year, yeah. yeah if you're looking at total year. EPA, yeah. And EPA per play, I think he was right around there as well. Gotcha. Yeah, I just I think the Giants got scared of not having a, a stable QB room and kind of bent the knee there and paid him. And hopefully he can continue his growth with Brian Dable and Mike Kafka there to help him well, grow. Because if he doesn't, that deal is going gonna to bite him in the future. And it almost seemed like they wanted to keep Saquon without having to tag Jones. So instead they gave Jones the big deal and tagged Saquon. That's kind of just something that I noticed with that. 
I, I think one of the large reasons why Brian, Brian Dable became the head coach of the New York Giants is because he was a big fan of Daniel Jones. Isaiah Hodgins said it uh, the year prior in 2021 when he was with the Buffalo Bills that they would watch film of Daniel Jones in New York when he was with Joe Judge and that atrocious coaching staff in New York. So w- when you think about those things, there's a lot to like about this guy. He doesn't do everything right. He's not a big splashy guy. And to be fair, this deal's really a two-year deal. In 2025, they would have about $18 million in dead cap with a pre-June one cut. So it's not it's not bad. They aren't tied to him for the long run. But like you said, it was interesting that they decided to extend him rather than tagging him. And that was really just to keep Saquon. Uh, now, another guy that signed a similar contract that looked like it was a long-term deal on the surface was Derek Carr. Uh, he signed with the Saints for $150 million. There were $60 million in fully guaranteed money in there. And his dead cap, if he were to get cut in two years from now in 2025, it'd be about $17 million. With Carr, and this isn't me just being a Saints hater, I think his deal was the worst of the of the bunch that got paid this offseason. He had two all-pro teammates on offense last season and still wasn't able to really produce and lead his team to wins. I don't think he's going to work out very well in New Orleans where I think the weapons are a little bit worse and the team is much older than it was with the Raiders. I think this is another example of New Orleans doing something to keep some sort of window open. But we got to ask, well, what they got to ask really, what is that window? Like if their goal is to win the division this year, I can see that because our division's pretty bad but I don't think that they're going to be competitive in any form of like a playoff matchup or anything. I think at some point the saints just need to realize what needs to happen. And clearly they haven't seen it yet. It's just an odd, uh, odd contract in my opinion. I think Mickey Loomis is smoking some really good stuff down in new Orleans. Uh, I'd I'd love to be on whatever he's on, but uh, that being said, a deal that was uh, team friendly uh, was Geno Smith's three year, $75 million extension ranked 16th in annual average value and 17th in fully guaranteed money. Uh, And yet even with these modest numbers for a quarterback, what's interesting is Gino will actually have higher salary cap hits in 2024 and 2025 compared to Jalen Hurts, which is just, it's, it's crazy. It kind of gives you an insight into Howie Roseman and how he prorated money in that deal. And it's just, it's very interesting to look at when you're trying to figure out how you can get an edge in the modern NFL. Yeah, every team needs their capologist guy. But I really like the uh, the Geno Smith deal. He bet on himself his whole career. He kind of got pushed out of the league early on. And he, he waited his time. He finally came back, and he bought out last year. And he, I'm glad he got paid for it. I think this deal also means that the Seahawks can add a rookie QB next year where Geno can be a good bridge and mentor. Uh, I kind of expected them to do that this year, maybe with uh, Anthony Richardson but they went with rebuilding the Legion of Boom instead, which is never a bad choice. Yeah, no, there's there's definitely a mold they're following and kind of touching on what you were, you were saying that I think they're going to add a quarterback in next year's draft, probably with a day two pick, because I'd assume with how good their roster is currently, they aren't going to have uh, a shot at a Caleb Williams or a Drake May. And as we already know, uh, 
the the Seahawks, uh, they had a blueprint, their first title run, where they brought in a day two guy with a loaded roster. And that's exactly what this team starting to look like. And I, I'm excited about it. I mean, you got a lot of stars in both the offense and defensive side, and it's it's really getting to the point where they're just a quarterback away. Yeah, their defense and their offensive line carried them to that title in the early 2000s. And it seems that's what Seems like that is what they're trying to do here. I mean, last year they took Charles Cross ninth overall. They took Abraham Lucas later in the draft. So they have a good foundation on the O-line. They took Devin Witherspoon early this year and added JSN. So they have some good weapons on the offensive side and some good players in the secondary. It's all coming together. Yeah, no, absolutely. The only other extension for a projected starter in the NFC is Jordan Love with the Green Bay Packers. It's probably one of the more perplexing of the extensions. Uh, he signed a deal worth less than what would have been the money he would have received had the team picked up the fifth-year option or franchise tagged him next offseason. Yeah, the Jordan Love deal is really a weird one. It's almost like he bet against himself. I guess we'll see if it was worth taking the pay cut when he debuts this season as a full-time starter, which is pretty weird considering it's year four and he's basically a rookie. But I'm excited to see how he gels with all the new weapons they've added on offense and with the uh, the defense that should bounce back this year. I definitely think their general manager uh, sat down with Jordan Love and his agent and was like, hey, we aren't going to exercise a fifth-year option. Uh, you can take this deal we have here on the table or you can play out on your current contract and see if we tag you next year. And I think he, he took the security – uh, but Jason Fitzgerald uh, discussed on his podcast how Jordan Love forfeited, in essence, $30 million by doing this in career earnings. And it's just it's really perplexing considering both Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers are represented by the same agency. Aaron Rodgers, when he's he's gotten paid, he's gotten paid. And I get they're two separate players, mm -hmm. but it's just it's still like one of those things that you would think if you, you're represented by the same agency and you see like a Daniel Jones deal that you, you would do something like this. Yeah, I think if Love can be an average QB, the Packers can be a little competitive this year. Like I said, their defense should bounce back, and they've added a lot of athletes on offense. And like you said, if, if Love can have a year like Daniel Jones did, and it only took Daniel Jones one year like that to get paid, maybe uh, they can rework that extension and give him a bigger extension. But I think the issue is that the rest of their division is getting better around them, and well, it's not the Rodgers era anymore. We'll have to see what happens. No, it, that's a good point. Uh, the Vikings are bound to regress from their 13 regular season wins last year. I think it just depends on how much Chicago and Detroit move the needle this offseason with some of their acquisitions to determine really how wide open the NFC North is. Uh, another point, a uh, few old faces in New Jersey's this year. Baker Mayfield in Tampa Bay. His backup is Kyle Trask. Uh, you have Jacoby Brissett, the starter for the Washington Commanders, where uh, his backup's the fifth-round pick in Sam Howell from last year. Uh, a few other backups uh, that changed teams, you have Sam Darnold in San Francisco and Taylor Heineke in Atlanta. And you still have retreads like Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan that are still free agents. I think this offseason has had some of the most QB movement in terms of extensions, free agency, and draft picks that I've seen in a while. I really like the Jacoby Brissett move especially. And you mentioned Matt Ryan. He actually did sign somewhere. 
with CBS Sports to be an analyst. And I don't know if he's going to be a, a game caster, but I know he's going to kind of sit at the table where everybody, like for the pregame show, all that kind of stuff. So he did sign somewhere, but he, he didn't say wow. that he was retiring. So I, this is I the first I'm hearing Matt of it. Ryan's out. Yeah, I think it was yesterday. Okay. So that's another okay. free agent QB off the table, it seems, this season. Well, there you go. You learn something new every day. Uh, that's that's very fascinating. Uh, to your Jacoby Brissett point, I know you wanted him to be the backup in Carolina, and he's uh, had history with Frank Reich. He's a solid quarterback. Uh, but what we're going to be touching on now are the kind of the, the, the future uh, pieces or the future stars at quarterback uh, of the NFC. And when we're looking at the past five years, there have been seven first round draft picks spent on quarterbacks in the NFC. Those quarterbacks are Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Jordan Love, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and this year's first overall pick, Bryce Young. Uh, here's to hoping Bryce is the best of the bunch. These names do not inspire as much confidence as the AFC first round pick QBs over the past couple of years. I, I could have said it any better. Jury's still out on love Lance and fields, which are pretty much almost half those guys that I mentioned, Kyler Murray and Daniel Jones have reached lucrative second extens uh, extensions, but Murray could be traded as early as next off season. And Jones could be cut the following offseason. So I, I get Bryce Young was just drafted, but if this is the future of the NFC in terms of the quarterback play, it's looking really bleak in the NFC. Yeah, the AFC is for sure the superior conference at the moment. You remember back in those uh, mid to late 2000s years when we had Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, and Ben Roethlisberger all kind of dominating the league? It's kind of what it reminds reminds me of now with all the AFC superiority. I think the only NFC QB that you can argue among the elite tiers of QBs in today's league would be Jalen Hurts. And the rest, it's a bunch of uh, AFC guys. And, and that leads me into probably the two best quarterbacks in the NFC right now. And they're Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott, who weren't even first-round picks, mind you. Jalen Hurts was taken in the second round, and Dak Prescott was a fourth-round pick. Like, this is this is kind of mind-boggling that even, even the best quarterbacks in the NFC aren't these top-drafted uh, guys that are coming out of college. I think both of those teams had great infrastructures around those quarterbacks as young players, which has really helped them develop and blossom into good or above-average great starting QBs. Like I said, I think Jalen's the only NFC QB that we could really argue would be top five. And then the rest of those upper echelon guys are going to be like Mahomes, Burrow, Lawrence, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen. It's just a lot of AFC guys right now. Yeah, and the crazy thing is, is uh, they're not only the best quarterbacks in the NFC, but they also play on two of the three best teams in the NFC. The Eagles and Cowboys have some talent on both sides of the ball and should be two of the three favorites to come out of the conference. The other team I would put kind of up with those two teams are the 49ers, and I think this is well-placed with how efficiently all three of those teams played last year when we look at Pythagorean wins and using the football outsider formula, along with future win total projections that I'm looking at with Vegas Insider. These are three of the best teams, and they should be viewed that way going into the season. I agree. Those are the three top NFC teams for me. 
I think the Niners probably have the best roster in the NFC. I think for them, it just comes down to their QB situation. And all I'm going to say is with Darnold, that's probably the most talented arm that Shanahan has had for any QB in San Francisco. And knowing Shan- knowing what Shanahan did with Purdy, with uh, Jimmy G, with Nick Mullins, he's going to turn Darnold into a Hall of Fame player next season, and I'm ready for it. And then, like you said, the Eagles and Cowboys are also up there, and I think that they're going to be really competitive. And it's too bad that they're in a pretty strong division, which in years past we've kind of joked is the worst, called the NFC least. And now I'd argue that that's NFC the best beast. NFC division. Yeah, the NFC, NFC beast. Now. Yeah. And then I also had a fourth team, not as good as those other three teams, but a team that I can think can make a strong push this year is the Lions. I think they're a team with a pretty good roster, and they, they also have some questions about how far their QB play can take them. With Jared Goff, we know that one or two games every year, he looks like prime Peyton Manning, prime Dan Marino. So if they can get those two games, either on important games like a playoff clinching game or even in the playoffs, I could see the Lions making a little run. They they definitely can make a run. I definitely think they are a dangerous team. I see them as more middle of the pack. If we're looking at tier rankings, I don't think there's a single team in the NFC that's in the S class. Uh, like I said, the Eagles, 49ers, and Cowboys. Cowboys are kind of a fringe A class squad. So when we get into the, the B class, which I feel like the Lions are there, um, I have Seattle, New York, um, Minnesota and Detroit. Uh, so Detroit for me falls a little bit because I, I they just have too many holes on the defensive line. And there's just I, too many questions about the Jamison Williams suspension and then how they use their resources this offseason. There's just it's not as definitive as it looked like last year. I, I can understand that. My middle tier also has three of the same teams that you had in Seattle, New York, and Minnesota. And I also have the Washington Commanders in there. Uh, I do expect some regression with the Vikings. I think you touched on that a bit earlier. But I think all these teams have decent competitive rosters. And I wouldn't be surprised that our three, if our three wildcard teams would be out of this group of four. That being Seattle, New York, Washington, Minnesota. Yeah, no, this this kind of C-class, B-class of teams is full of, like, meh quarterbacks. Uh, I have Geno Smith, like I said, in Seattle, Daniel Jones in New York, Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, and then Jared Goff over Jacoby Brissett. Uh, these are all competent quarterbacks that can play within structure, but they aren't elite guys that are, are able to elevate some of the holes that are on the rest of their roster. Uh, why I feel like Washington's a tier even below this group is because uh, they play in a really tough division and they have a new quarterback in OC this year. So those kind of new pieces playing against a tougher strength of schedule compared to some other teams and weaker divisions, it just it makes me kind of look down at kind of Washington's situation compared to other teams in the NFC. They do play a tough kind of in-division schedule. But they were fourth place last year, so they should have an easier NFC-wide schedule. So maybe that'll help them a bit. But yeah, like you said, none of the teams have elite QB play per se. And in my case, I would include Jacoby Brissett in that group, who quietly had a decent year last season. 
he was definitely the better of the two QBs that were the main QBs for the Browns last year. I think he should be able to be a good starter or at least a good bridge if Sam Howell is ready enough to go. And as far as Washington is concerned, they did just have the team sale finally. And I know a lot of the players weren't really big with uh, Snyder, nor nor should they be. Snyder, uh, I think we all have our opinions on Snyder. So hopefully this can uh, invigorate them and give them something to play for, something more to play for this season. Absolutely. And I know I I was a little bit down on the commanders and when I was talking about them a little bit ago, but they have a lot of good pieces at premium positions like wide receiver. You have Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel, you have Monte Sweat and Chase Young at edge. For me, they struggle to stay healthy as a team. And part of that I think is in part to the current owner, why they their their team is in this process of being sold. He is had a lack of investment into the medical staff at this point. They're one of the worst rated teams in terms of how they take care of their players and their personnel and just always seems to be an injured bunch because of that down the stretch. And it leaves a lot of what ifs at the end of the year. And that's that's how I see Washington. I see them as the NFC version of the Chargers over the past so many years, an owner that doesn't want to spend money. And that ends up kind of having a rippling effect throughout the roster. Now, There are a lot of things to love on some of these middle-class teams. The Seahawks, Giants, Lions all have talent at the offensive tackle position. The Seahawks added Cross and Lucas in last year's draft. We kind of talked about that earlier. The Giants have Andrew Thomas and O'Neal, or Neal at uh, offensive tackle. And then the Lions have Decker and Sewell. So there's a lot of talent at premium positions on the offensive line. They've all reloaded the back end of their defenses. Seattle adds Witherspoon. The Giants add Deontay Banks. The Lions add Mosley, Sutton, Gardner Johnson. And then they all continue to add weapons on offense. You saw the Seahawks add JSN, Charbonnet. The Giants add Hyatt and Waller. And then Lions add Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta. So just a, a lot of things to look forward with these teams. Um, I know some of the negative things that we've said about them are definitely points, but it should not take away that these are playoff contenders in the NFC. Absolutely. I think any of these teams could, like you said, make the playoffs, maybe win a game in the playoffs in the NFC. Uh, As far as the Seahawks, I think the only main negative there is that Geno is good, not elite. So they're only as good as he is. And I think their linebacker room isn't the greatest either. The Giants, I'm not sold on Daniel Jones. I think I made that clear earlier. And they still don't really have a high-end wide receiver in that receiver room. I know they added Jalen Hyatt, but I wasn't too high on him either. And they don't really have depth behind that secondary. I know that they have a Dory Jackson and Deontay Banks, which should be a good young corner duo. But They have a Xavier McKinney, too, in this secondary, uh, like you said. Of it, not, a lot of, yeah. not a lot of depth overall. Yeah. Then the Vikings, uh, Kirk Cousins is probably the main negative I have there. Although I'll say he played pretty well to his standards last season with uh, Kevin O'Connell's new scheme. But the big one for the Vikings is their defense, right? I mean, it's young yeah. and inexperienced. And they this past uh, week, they traded away their best player on def- maybe their best player on defense, and Zadarius Smith. He goes to the Cleveland Browns to help bolster their D-line. They, they got and younger, we, though. They added Marcus Davenport they did get from New Orleans. Yeah. So and you, you can kind of make the question. It was like, OK, if, if they're getting a guy in his prime compared to getting a guy that's a little bit older off the books, it seemed a little bit smart. 
No, yeah, and I think Zadarius Smith requested a trade as well. And so it just made sense. But yeah, yeah with their defense, I think they're going to have to pretty much start or play heavily a lot of guys they drafted last year that didn't play much. I think the and I think the only major free agent that they brought in on defense was Byron Murphy from Arizona. Who he's a decent corner. Yeah, he's not. They bad. need uh, yeah, they need Andrew Booth Jr., Lewis Seen, Brian Azamoa. They need all those players to step up this year. And then with Washington, my team in the uh, the middle tier, I think their offensive line they didn't adequately address that one early in the draft, and their corners are still pretty young, and. The owner, like to the point about the owner, the team sale is happening. So maybe we can see some growth in the the medical staff, the training staff, the facilities, all that kind of stuff. I think to your point, if I remember correctly, that whole team report card thing that the NFLPA put out, I think I remember Washington was pretty low on a lot of things. So yeah. that's a huge area that's going to need to improve. And hopefully it will with the new uh, owners in place. Hopefully, yeah, whatever owner decides to buy the Washington Commanders, they're, they're an owner that's willing to spend, that wants to win, and is willing to kind of influx money in different departments to, to make this an experience where players want to come in the work and play for you as ownership. And I think that's, that's a critical point. Uh, a lot of the points you made were spot on about these kind of middle of pack groups. I'd include the Lions as having a team with a lot of holes on the defensive line. They were gashed in the run game last year uh, maybe you could say jack campbell and alex anzalone are able to be more effective in the run game but i'm not entirely sold that they're just going to fix that overnight especially since they didn't really add a lot of bodies inside outside of broderick martin not to gloss over things i like about the vikings uh, who have arguably the best wide receiver in the nfl and justin jefferson they traded for tj hawkinson last year and drafted your number one wide wide receiver in this draft in jordan addison like you commented the secondary is what worries me they added byron murphy great addition from arizona and if their second year guys take a step in sign and booth maybe have something there. But like you said, it's a lot of youth, a lot of inexperience right now. And so it's it's just a big question mark as of right now. I think adding Brian Flores to be their defensive coordinator should help. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot of youth on that side of the ball. And despite my concerns for their defense, their offense should be disgusting this year. Jefferson and Addison might end up being one of, if not the best wide receiver duo in the league if Addison performs to the expectations I have for him. And we've kind of gone over the top and middle tiers uh, that we both have, and now we're left with the rest. And if you guys will notice, that includes our entire division in the NFC South. When listing off teams that are our playoff contenders like we have over the past like 20 or so minutes, we haven't discussed a single NFC South team. Saints defensive line lost a lot of key players with Marcus Davenport, Shai Tuttle, David Onyemata, and only brought in Brian Bersay out of Clemson to kind of really fill any of that void left. A.T. Perry could be a good pairing with Chris Olave, but this isn't a good team right now, and they're the market favorites to win the division. What gives? I think with the with the betting markets and stuff, I think it's just uh, fatigue. They're just so used to seeing the Saints be good. But I just don't see it. Like I said during the Derek Carr rant, 
They look like they're chasing like the 2017, 2018 teams when they had Drew Brees, who was still playing at an elite level. And they had young rising stars and Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, Marcus Lattimore, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. And now they're just left with the aging scraps of that core group. I think it really goes to show how quickly windows will close in the NFL. And you have to have both a great QB and really good to elite premium position players if you want to keep that window open and stay competitive. And a team that's looking like it's heading towards being competitive is the Atlanta Falcons. As much as it pains me to say it, they have a pretty good roster, probably the best roster out of all the NFC South teams. They're just missing, missing a few key players at important spots in QB and edge. If I had to choose right now, I think the Falcons would take the division just because it's so wide open. I, I want to emphasize the point you made. They are missing important players at premium positions and those positions being quarterback and edge. There are two quarterbacks right now. Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke could be adequate guys, maybe borderline average guys, but these are not needle movers. These are not elite quarterbacks that are going to bring a Super Bowl title to Atlanta. And then their edge rushers, Calais Campbell and Bud Dupree. Without a difference maker in the pocket, at least one truly disruptive edge to get after the opposing quarterback, this team is going to struggle in important moments. Now, Compare this to the Panthers, they draft their franchise quarterback of the future in Bryce Young, and they already have an elite edge rusher in Brian Burns. These pieces should give our fan base, uh, us included, a lot of hope, but it's still a long road. I couldn't disagree more. I think the Panthers are going to go 17-0 and this year, and I'm just kidding. In all honesty, I think we're the other team in the division that's trending in the right direction. All of our first-round picks recently have performed at or above expectation, and they've all been important or premium position picks. I think the only exception uh, to that is J.C. Horn, who's been elite when he's been on the field, but he has struggled to stay on the field. I think he's played only 16 games in his first two seasons. I think the front office has done a really good job the past few years of grabbing important, good players early. Now the question is going to be, are our weapons good enough on offense and how will Bryce carry that offense this year? Absolutely. We have a lot of solid pieces, which I'll touch on later. The biggest question marks will obviously be in regards to our wide receiver room. And if Bryce Young can stay healthy at his size. Yeah. If it all works out, this can be an easy division for us to win. That leads us to our last team, a team that probably won't win the division and may not be trying to win the division this year in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're a team that's a lot like the Saints. It's kind of an, an aging team, and the, now they've lost their Hall of Fame QB. But unlike the Saints, they seem willing to start over. I think that their offseason reflects that. I don't think they're going to be competing for anything other than Caleb Williams or Drake May. And it looks like they may be a few years out from returning to the dominant team that they've been recently. The Buccaneers are one of the three NFC teams I believe are vying for the first overall pick in next year's draft. With Brady's retirement, the team is beginning to look like a complete dumpster fire under Todd Bowles. Baker is not that guy. There are a lot of questions on the offensive line and the secondary for this team. Another team that has hung a championship banner in the th past three years 
that are now in the mix for this talented USC quarterback are the Rams. A lot of question marks around Stafford's elbow, and it's tough to envision Cup and AD carrying the load they have in the past to make up for the lack of talent that is all over this roster. It's it's just you can't name a starter in their defense outside of Aaron Donald, or if you can, it's it's impressive. Yeah, I was just thinking I can't do it. Uh, the Rams are another team, like you said, that are looking at a rebuild, although I'm not sure that they can do it as feasibly as the Bucks, just thanks to the Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald contracts, which were albatross deals that they got after the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. They did suffer a lot of injuries to important players this last season. So we're, I think this season we're going to see if it's a fluke year last year or if the team is actually as bad as it looks. Interestingly, they had to draft or sign over 30 rookies this season, including uh, UDFAs, due to their roster constraints. So we may end up seeing a lot of young players take snaps. And to the point of the AD and Cup contracts, that's a big reason why they had to sign so many uh, undrafted players and rookies. It's because they didn't have money to go out and sign free agents. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all works together this year. If there's going to be an aftermath of uh, what's, what's the general manager's name? I'm blanking on it. Les Snead. Les Snead, uh, his F them picks mantra. <laughs> there's going to be an aftermath to that, or if they're going to be able to bounce back and be at least competitive this year. I don't think that they're winning the division with the Niners or Seahawks, but we'll see. They were, they were all in for the 2021 season and it paid out. They, they have a banner, they have their rings, like, that's great. Fitzgerald, Jason Fitzgerald, I know. I name drop him at least three or four times each episode. Yeah, go like, listen to his pod. Good work. I, oh, my gosh. it's that I, I enjoy that. When I get the notification that his pod has dropped, I, I get giddy. The one thing he has talked about in the past is roster turnover. You usually have 50% of your roster is new in about two years. And that's what we're seeing with the Rams. And it does matter who some of your backups are. Like we we could mention an Aaron Donald, a Leonard Floyd, a Von Miller, a Jalen Ramsey when they went to the Super Bowl. Those guys are no longer on that team. And so now when we start looking at it, it's like outside of Cooper Cup, who is Stafford throwing to? The Rams added Byron Young to the defensive line in the draft. But overall, that defensive starting lineup is full of guys who would be backups on other rosters. And it's just not a lot to be optimistic about outside of having the sweepstakes now that you have a first round pick for potentially Caleb Williams in next year's draft. Now, the other team that I think you can include for the running of the first overall pick in the NFC, even though I think they have a lot more talent on offense that they're being credit for are the Arizona Cardinals. They do not have an easy schedule. Their strength of schedule ranks 72nd since 2002, according to Sebastian. He's a co-author of a lot of the NFL-verse packages. And I think that plays a role with a first-year head coach and very few quality pieces on defense to work with. Just to your point about the Rams real quick, it's going to be crazy to see them make a first-round pick. Their last one was Goff in 2016. Yeah. So that's no. just that's going to be insane. If they don't trade it, they could always trade this one. They could, uh, they could, maybe they trade for Kyler Murray. Who knows? They, they've done crazier maybe, stuff. Maybe. And in regards to Kyler and the Cardinals, I think despite having a pretty good draft process, it's clear that the Cardinals aren't going to be a world beaters this season. Kyler's hurt and the rest of their roster. I think the rest of their roster looks pretty weak. I know you're higher on the offense than I am. I would be surprised if they don't end up as a bottom three team 
in the entire league, not just the NFC this season. And we'll see if uh, Jonathan Gannon, the new head coach, can prevent that. But I'm a bit skeptical. If their offensive line stays healthy, which when it is, they're, I think, a top 10 offensive line. They added Paris Johnson in the draft this year. You have Kyler thrown to DeAndre Hopkins, Hollywood Brown, Rondale Moore, Zach Urch, and Greg Dortch. These aren't bums. This isn't an inept group by any means. But like you were alluding to, Gannon has to have the defense somewhat functional moving forward for them to be competitive, which leads us into our final topic for this episode, and that's teams that have the potential to surprise us this season. I have four teams in the section. We briefly kind of talked about three of them already. The one that we haven't are the Chicago Bears. The Bears are interesting. Us Panthers fans know them well by now. They've done a lot of work this offseason to try and improve the roster around Justin Fields. Now they have some competent players on offense. They have a lot of good weapons on offense with DJ Moore, Chase Claypool, and Darnell Mooney. They added Darnell Wright to an O-line that had the second highest pass block win rate, according to ESPN, at 68%. And they rank 14th by PFF in their pass blocking metrics by PFF last year. I said PFF twice and three times there. Uh, The question remains, can Fields get the ball out faster and avoid fewer hits and sacks? We saw guys like Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts take a leap when they had a wide receiver one added to the team via trade going into the third year. This could be the case with Justin Fields, who faces a strength of schedule in the 33rd percentile going into 2023. You're right. The big question is, can Fields take the leap and improve just like Hertz did, just like Josh Allen did. I'm not sold on the def- the depth of the defense for that matter at all, especially on that defensive line and in the in the secondary. I know that uh, they have Eddie Jackson and Jaquan Brisker at safety, and I like both of those guys, but their corners are really young in Jalen Johnson and Kyler Gordon. They're going to need to improve a little bit. So the Bears are going to need Justin Fields to carry them if they want to be competitive this season, especially in a division which has the Lions, which I'm very high on, has the Vikings, which won 13 games last year. I know we think they'll regress, but 13 wins is 13 wins in the regular season. That and is. the Packers. They're, they're a good team. They're, they, they aren't yeah, like they, bums. Yeah, they're, they're not one of the bottom three teams that we talked about. And then there's the Packers as well, who I would also kind of put in that middle tier that we had which can still be competitive even with a young QB and Jordan Love without a lot of experience. Fields has to step up, and I don't think he has any excuses now. This is this is his year, and it's time for him to show out and be the guy that we all thought he could be. I thought the Panthers should have drafted him. I thought he was really good that year. Same. And I would like to see him live up to that uh, standard that I had for him. Yeah, no, I, I'm i definitely on rooting for Justin Fields. I think he does take a leap. I And DJ Moore is going to be a huge part of that. But when you look at the encompassing roster, you have Javon Dexter out of Florida, who's going to be a space eater on that defensive line. But outside of that, you don't have solid edge presence, which is going to be very hard to then generate and get after the quarterback with pressure. And that leads me to wondering if Eberflus is going to be able to generate that pressure with defensive stunts, with simulated pressures. 
And then in juxtaposition of that, you kind of alluded to this. The Packers have a lot of talent on their roster, and their defensive line is just one where they have three first-round picks that are pretty solid in Rashawn Gary, Kenny Clark, and now Lucas Van Ness. They have the pieces. They have the skill on offense. The question is, what do they have in Jordan Love? And if he can be an average quarterback in year one as a starter, that could go a long way to a potential playoff push come December. And that's that's where it's like, can Justin Fields step up? Because if, if Love takes that step, you're going to see them kind of pushing in the NFC North when nobody's really expecting much from them out of the gate. Exactly. Like we talked about earlier, I think the Packers can be a surprising and consistent and competent team if Love is just if he's not a detriment to the team. If he plays well, I think they can uh, be able to compete in the weak NFC. And I think that I think I said it earlier, the defense should bounce back. Uh, I thought they were going to be very good last year just based on the names and they kind of took a step back. But hopefully they can improve this year. They added two first round picks last year on the defensive side. And now they added Van Ness this year. And they added a lot of talented athletes on offense the past couple of years that can help shoulder the load for a younger QB and Jordan Love. If you guys haven't picked up now, the Chicago Bears were the first team that has the potential to surprise us. The Packers are the second team we're touching on. And it's an offense that drafted Christian Watson in the second last year, Romeo Dobbs in the fourth last year. They're both coming off promising rookie seasons. They added Luke Musgrave, Tucker Craft, and Jaden Reed this past year in the second and third rounds. And they're beefing up these skill possessions with a lot of youth. And if these guys hit, they're going to offer a lot of position surplus. And the Packers under Matt LaFleur in that offensive scheme were really, really good in 12 personnel last year, which is one running back, two tight ends, and two wide receivers. And I expect that to continue now that they've added Musgrave and Kraft. And hopefully they weren't really good in 11 personnel last year. And maybe that was because Devontae Adams left. Rodgers wasn't kind of happy with some of these rookies that were in the room. But you would hope with the addition of Jaden Reed and the development of the year two guys and Watson and Dobbs that who knows, maybe they take a step. And with me talking about all these skill positions, I haven't even touched on the fact that they do have a top 10 O-line. They have Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Myers, Runyon, Tom as all starters. They have a dynamic running back duo in Jones and Dylan. So it really does boil down to the same point we've been making over this entire podcast. And that is simply Jordan Love has to be average for this team to be good. That's it just has to be average. He doesn't have to be top 10, top five, any of that. He just has to be middle of the pack. Yeah, it's not a bad roster to step into, especially after learning, presumably learning from Rodgers over the past couple of years. And now the next team that could surprise, we already touched on it, the Atlanta Falcons. Their roster is built somewhat similarly uh, towards the Bears to where the only glaring weakness they have, in my opinion, is that defensive line. Difference is the Bears have a guy that should be and is hopefully a franchise QB where I'm not so sure about the Falcons. However, they supplemented this with three top 10 draft selections for skilled players on offense over the past three years. So they have talent on offense. They just need somebody competent enough to distribute to that talent. Yeah, no Kyle Pitts, Drake London, now B. John Robinson. And you pair that with the fact that they have three first-round picks on their offensive line in Jake Matthews, Chris Lindstrom, Caleb McGrary. And they just added Matthew Bergeron in the second to play guard. So 
when you when you look at the fact that they have elite pass catchers in London and Pitts, and then three viable options coming out of the backfield and Bijan, Cordell Patterson, and Tyler Algier, this is this is an interesting squad. Now, their defensive uh, philosophy when it comes to the secondary is similar to that of the Bengals and the Lions, but a lot of quality depth and treat it like a weak league system, as Eric Eager has wrote and talked about this offseason. And so that's exactly what they have with A.J. Terrell, Jesse Bates, Jeff Okudo, Mike Hughes, and Trey Flowers. But their defensive line, similar to the Bears, and you brought this up, they don't have a lot of premium talent at kind of these positions. And the Falcon current starters on the defensive line are Calais Campbell, David Onyemata, Bud Dupree, and Grady Jarrett, all of whom are at least 30 years old. This is not a young group. These are old aging stars, if you want to even consider them that way. They're trying to compete with the Saints for oldest D-line. But <laughs> regardless of that, the Falcons should be able to compete for the meager NFC South crown this season, along with another team, the last team that could potentially surprise people being our Carolina Panthers. And I think we've done just about everything right this off season between the coaching staff and the players added just all comes down to Bryce. Now. See, this is, this is why I'm glad we saved the Carolina Panthers for last. They have a coaching staff that is arguably one of the best top to bottom in the league. Frank Reich was already a successful head coach in Indianapolis with what he was given, and he was able to bring on Thomas Brown, an assistant in L.A. as his O.C., retain James Campen, a phenomenal offensive line coach who's worked with the Green Bay Packers, with Aaron Rodgers, with Brett Favre, actually snapped footballs to Brett Favre when he played as an NFL player. Uh, we lucked into Yeah, Deuce he doesn't Staley. get talked about enough. He Can't doesn't he, get talked about enough. Oh my gosh. He's, he's, and that's what I'm saying. It's like you have that much. And I'm, I'm about to list off about like five or six other names. We have Deuce Staley that came from Detroit. His mom is going through some health concerns and she lives in South Carolina. So we lucked into him. He, he got to come to Carolina because that, that got him closer to his mom, which is really cool. I'm glad that he can be here, but we benefit from that. And then we have and Josh. He's, a, he's also, Staley's also an assistant head coach as well. So yeah. he, his position holds some meaning. He's not just the running backs guy. And I concur that completely. We have Josh McCown, a former NFL quarterback, as the quarterback coach for Bryce Young. And we haven't even mentioned uh, Evero on the defense, who was Denver's defensive coordinator last year, completely tore it up there and simply came here because they hired Sean Payton and they were bringing in a completely new system. Had nothing to do with his skills or his capabilities, and now he's our guy. And then we have two mm -hmm. former guys that were head coaches – Jim Caldwell, who is going to be a senior assistant, and then a former coach of ours, believe it or not, and Dom Capers, who will be a senior Dom. defensive assistant. Yes, sir. Yeah, that coaching staff is crazy. And another thing to note, a couple of those guys in Evero and Jim Caldwell also interviewed for our head coaching job. I know Evero interviewed for other head coaching jobs as well. So there's a, there's a real depth to our coaching staff. This is the best coaching staff in team history for sure. Uh, and we, we've come a long way. I'm just glad that we have NFL coaches and not coaches without NFL experience. I'm hoping Reich and his staff can pick up where John Fox, where the better parts of Ron Rivera left off and bring some winning football to the Carolinas. I, I, I hope, I pray that it looks, everything they've done this offseason from the front office standpoint has looked great. 
and I'm, I'm super excited about it. And that's just what's behind the play design. The roster has a starting five on the offensive line, Nikki Aquanu, Brady Christensen, Bozeman, Austin Corbett, and Taylor Moten. We have two stars on the defensive line, and a Derek Brown and a Brian Burns. And Evro lost his mind when we, we were able to move up and get DJ Johnson. So hopefully he's able to work with him <laughs> at Oregon. Uh, we have a fairly deep secondary that's led by an up-and-coming lockdown corner in J.C. Horn. But we still have guys like Jeremy Chin, Xavier Woods. We just signed Vaughn Bell. And I know I'm going on and on, and there are big concerns about the wide receiver room, but if DJ Chark stays healthy, Jonathan Mingo, who we drafted in the second round, has been comped by a wide receiver expert, Matt Harmon, to potentially have a similar role as Amon Raw St. Brown. And DJ Chark last year, before becoming a Carolina Panther, actually played with the Detroit Lions alongside Amon Raw St. Brown. So... This this isn't hard to conceive that the role Mingo has in this offense is going to look like that. And then you pair that with the fact that we have a savvy slot wide receiver in Adam Thielen and a solid receiving tight end in Hayden Hurst. This isn't the worst group we're rolling out in 11 personnel in the modern NFL. This is this is a solid group. It's an okay group, but it's not like bottom of the barrel. And this is the biggest knock that you can point to on this roster. I agree. Plus, we added Miles Sanders, who... I think he is a slight upgrade over Deontay Foreman as a whole, and he's reunited with Deuce Staley, who was his running back coach his rookie year, which was his best year outside of last year. And all I got to say about Mingo is Smitty gave Mingo the stamp of approval, and that's enough for me. That just proves he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. I was loving it at the rookie mini camp when Smith was working with him and you could see the videos mm -hmm. of the release because that's some of the bigger concerns with Mingo is his release against more technical corners and just getting a little bit of separation. It's like, okay, if he works with a technical guy or a guy that got really good at some of that stuff that, that he might be able to take that next step at that level. So that, that, that would be awesome. Um, but as we wrap up uh, this, this season for the pick is in, we are planning to have an off season series Working on all the details currently, we'll break down each of the eight divisions in a lot more detail leading up to the regular season. Uh, we'll have our prediction for teams, players, and much more. Stay tuned on Twitter at either at Patent Analytics or at Jacob LaCroix for updates. As for us, the pick is out.